Well, I'm going to shift gears to, our, uh, to what I want to talk about this morning. Um, and this is a little bit out of the box message, but I, I guess mine tend to be that way, don't they? Um, <laughs> this is actually a great message. I, actually, this is something that I really feel like um, we should probably bring into um, the pulpit more often because it's just such a big part of all of our lives. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the significance of daily work. And, you know, even thinking and talking about that, you, you begin to realize um, kind of the mindset around this, which is uh, unfortunate. And, and that is, it's, it's a, I mean, I've been interested in this over the years because I've begun learning and wanting to unlearn some of how I thought uh, of this. And it, it tends to be kind of a, a, there's a separation that people have in their minds that often, and I had this as well, of the, the sacred and the secular. <clears throat> you know, you put work in those two categories. You've got sacred work and you've got secular work. And I have been, um, you know, at fault in even describing my own life and my work in this way. I would often, I still do, I need to stop this doing this, but I would tell people, you know, most of my life has been a mixture of, uh, of ministry and secular work. And I will, sometimes I'll be doing full-time um, ministry, sometimes I'll be doing full-time software development, and it's been a mixture of both most, <clears throat> most of my working life. And so I have perpetuated this uh, kind of dualistic way of thinking of this, but it's not, um, it's really not, it was not God's intention, and I think that uh, it, a lot of Greek philosophy uh, way back when has, had entered into um, what was always Hebrew way of thinking of God and work, and, and in, you know, and God never intended on it to be separated in the way that we do. But we do, we do do that. I think we all agree that it's um, that it's something that we do. But you know, daily work is is huge. And please know that when I talk about daily work, I'm not talking about anyone who's not on a W two. You know, this message is not for you. I'm sorry. No, this is for everyone. All roles in life, whether you are a full time mom, whether you are a re- retired. Um, and doing something that seems leisurely, but basically everything you do in life is and should be work. Now, Scripture has a lot to say about those who aren't. We'll get to that later. But, but everything that you do, whether it's for an employer or it's for yourself, um, is, is something that uh, we, would, we could easily call work. We have those daily tasks that we do. And I think we got to remember as we look at all this that this I want I want you to remember no matter what your role is that you are included and your your job your role is included in in this <clears throat> and digging into this um, mindset you know we 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 tend to refer to it as you could you could say sacred versus secular you could say um, ministry versus secular work there's a lot of ways to describe it but there's that. Uh, that separation of the two, and often it's basically sacred work or ministry, if you will, would be spiritual work, whereas secular work would be earthly work. Not that it's a bad thing and we need it, but it's it's not the it's not the sacred work or the spiritual work of of ministry, and you know. So we tend to think of anything connected with church or ministry is more sacred. And, and, and then everything else basically falls into the secular. So I want to help us to kind of rethink that and unlearn that and begin thinking about this the way God has um, ordained it and the way that he sees it. And, and really, you know, in talking about spiritual work and um, earthly work, if you want to call it that, you know, sacred or secular, it's... it's it's kind of ironic because when you think about it, the, the Bible basically ends where it began, and that is right here on earth. 
you realize that we're those who inherit the kingdom of God, we're going to find ourselves right back here on earth. Now, it will be new, new earth. It will be renewed, but that's where our ultimate destination will be. Not only that, but God himself will come to dwell with us as he originally intended from the very beginning. So we will uh, eventually find our way, find ourselves back on this earth, first reigning with him uh, during the millennial period when Christ is reigning, but then when his, God's kingdom is established for eternity, it will be on uh, the new earth. And so that's, a, that's an interesting thing to consider um, because I think we often um, look at that differently and think, you know, all of this is basically going to go away. Now, it will as we know it, but it's going to be uh, renewed. It's going to be new, but it's going to be us in the kingdom of God that is established on this earth. So it's important that we realize that because our work is very important because we actually are not, and, and a lot of people think this, we're not going to be sitting on clouds, strumming our harps in white robes, singing kumbaya and worship songs and all that for eternity. That's actually not what we're going to be doing. God will be with us. There will be no need for lights because he will basically be the light. There will be no night. There will be no sickness, no pain, all of those things. But guess what? We will be, we will have things to do. There will be, uh, as he originally intended, there will be work to be done. And when I began to realize this and pay attention to this, I actually got very excited because, you know, the floating on clouds and strumming harps, just, I just couldn't, I don't know, it just wasn't connecting with me. Um, I love to praise my Lord, but I love to praise him through faithfulness of, of work and all of that. And I think, uh, I think everyone can relate to that because God has put that in us, is that desire to work. A.W. Tozer um, has a great quote, and I'll just put it on the screen here. He said this, Let every man abide in the calling wherein he is called, and his work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular, it is why he does it. I think that's a great quote, and if we can begin to think this way, I think it will help us to unlearn kind of what we've always thought of concerning uh, sacred and secular work and begin to see it as um, sacred for us who are followers of Christ, us who are God's children. Our work should always be sacred because it should always be for him. So, Let's, let's look at some of the uh, foundational things, which uh, would be, to begin with, whose idea was it to work? And it, it's very easy to find this because we just go back to the very beginning uh, and we see this going back to Genesis 1-1, the very first passage of Scripture, the very first verse in the Bible says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word created involved work. And that was the very first thing that we see in Scripture is that God created. He, he worked. And if we just move a, a little further on in uh, Genesis 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, this is after he had spent a good bit of time creating and working. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So we already, just right out of the gate, see this um, idea of work as it, be, as it being something that God himself does and that it's actually a, a good thing. <clears throat> Go a little further to uh, 
chapter 2 and look at verse 15. Now, this is after God created everything. And so it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So I know oftentimes we might think of the Garden of Eden as an absolute uh, resort and paradise of leisure. But actually, that's far from the truth. Now, it was wonderful. It was a paradise. And uh, with it came the, the tree of life that Adam and Eve had access uh, to eat from this tree of life that gave them complete health. There was no sickness. There was no uh, disease. Uh, they had uh, the ability to be sustained and to be kept well and whole. And um, the animals weren't mean. They didn't have to protect themselves against them. all of that. It was just a wonderful, wonderful place. But in this paradise, God's first thing that he established is for Adam to begin working in this garden, to work it and to keep it. And, of course, we see him also doing things like naming all the animals and things like that. So he had tasks. He had things to do, and that is how God ordained it. And if we go just a, a little further, God doesn't stop there because, if, as you see in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make or work to make him a helper fit for him. And I think this is a beautiful thing. And all of, our, all of us husbands can say amen to what God did here. Instead of us having to be alone and trying to do the work that he called us to do, God created us a helper fit for us. And I think Adam was very excited when he saw God's creation there. And uh, if we go a little bit further here, <clears throat> and so, he, you know, as we can see, the first man, the first woman, their first assignments were to work. If we go on to Genesis, uh, and this is in chapter 1, looking back at verse 27 and through 29, <clears throat> it says this, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of, the, of all the earth and every tree and seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Now, to not just kind of skim over this, I just want to back up a little bit. And do we, do we understand what God is saying here? Now, I have, Pam and I have raised five children. <clears throat> and we've raised five children in the modern conveniences and technology of our modern world and society <clears throat> with all the helps and all the conveniences and things that we have to, to help us with that. And if you want to call it kind of the ease of, of living in, on, the world, on the earth today. But listen, this, this is huge. God was telling them, <clears throat> okay, not only do I want you to work and keep uh, this, this place, but I also want you to now multiply, be fruitful, and go out and basically be subdue everything and have dominion over everything. So they are starting from ground zero, not only with needing to populate, begin populating the earth. <clears throat> okay, I had five kids. I know what kind of work is entailed with that. They had a lot more than that, and they had nothing. So everything had to be built, cultivated, protected, subdued. I mean, if you really sit, and I did, I really sat, sat and thought about the amount of work that was facing Adam and Eve. It's, it's staggering. But yet, that is what God appointed them to do. And, and you don't hear any complaints. They, they got on about their business, and they, they began to work. And as they multiplied and were fruitful in that way, everyone in their family, and as they spread out, they knew that 
life was work, and that's what um, that's what they did. But it's it's uh, it's a good thing to kind of just pause there and think about what God had assigned to them to do. <clears throat> it's also interesting to to think that this was actually not the only time he did this. He actually did this twice. So he did this with Adam and Eve. And then, as you know, because of man's wickedness and the, what God had to do uh, to judge the wickedness of mankind, and he wiped out all of mankind except for Noah and his family who were found righteous in God's sight. Basically, there was the, the big reset. And when Noah and his family came out of the ark, God said the same thing to them. He said to now go and multiply, be fruitful, and uh, multiply and fill the earth. So they had to do it all over again. Now, you know, you would think maybe God could look back on Adam and Eve and the amount of work they had to do and maybe shortcut this for Noah and his family, but no, he didn't. Um, There's a reason why he uh, wanted to carry out his plan and purposes through man and woman, and uh, that's what he did. So there was something intrinsically intrinsically important and valuable about work. God, God highly values it, and we should always take notice of that. He doesn't exempt us from... Uh, the command and expectation to work and be fruitful. And we actually see this reinforced throughout Scripture, including warnings and reprimands to those who are idle and, and not working. Um, we'll take a, a look at a few of those. Um, in Psalms 128, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. What might be his ways? Well, in the next verse, it says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. There's an expectation of laboring with your hands and being able to eat the fruit of that labor. We go on to um, Proverbs. We'll take a look at a verse in Proverbs, and I love this one in the NLT uh, because of how it, it words it. It says this, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. The uh, writer there doesn't mince words uh, on, on how that was viewed. And if we move on to take a look at a few scriptures in the New Testament, uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, uh, the believers there, and says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. And this was not the first time. He mentions that he instructed the, these things before. So this was uh, kind of a common thread in what, how they would instruct the believers. Um, you see this again. This was the first letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians that we know of. But we see this again also in his second letter in Thessalonians, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with verse 6, Paul says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, 
but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would, not, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, now such person, persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now, that can't be stated any more clearly, but that obviously, even back then in the early church, that was becoming a, an issue with uh, idleness. And people, instead of being busy with work, they were being busy bodies, getting into people, other people's businesses, causing problems. It just, um, Paul wasn't going to have it. And he was very strong with his words on correcting this and telling the believers there to correct it and tell these people they need to get to work. So we see, <clears throat> we see this throughout Scripture from the very beginning and all the way to the very end, this thread of work being ordained by God. And that it is good and it is right. And when someone is not working and there's idleness, it's not good. And there, there, there's correction to be said for those who are in that place of, of not working. <clears throat> now, please, now, keep in mind, I just, you know, there's, there's times and, and there's situations in life where someone, uh, through maybe a disability or some uh, type of situation is unable to work as we would traditionally think of as as work. But listen, work is spans the board of what that can mean, what that can involve. Um, but there's a big difference between work and idleness. And so work can look like it can come in many different shapes and forms. And and so no matter what the disability might be or the situation might be, there's always going to be some type of work. Uh, that someone can apply themselves to and uh, be busy doing. So another question to ask is, does God care about how we actually carry out our work? And I think we all can agree, and we're going to look at some of this here, but the, the answer is a resounding yes. And we're going to look at just a few, just th three scriptures I want to focus in on because I think these are really core to driving, it should be, to, to steering us and guiding us in how we carry out our work and our daily tasks. Uh, and again, not just our work if we're employed by someone, but it can be if you're self-employed and have your own business, and it can be if you are a uh, homemaker or a full-time mom or whatever that looks like, that is your role, that is your work. So this applies to all of those things. But you will be familiar with this verse out of Matthew where, uh, in, in chapter 22 where a, uh, a scribe comes and wants to kind of test Jesus, and he asks. Uh, we'll take a look at it here. This is what he asks. He says, Teacher, talking to Jesus, which is the great, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus uh, makes it clear about these two, loving God and loving others and how hugely important they are. Basically, he sums up all the law and the prophets hinge on these two commandments. So these two commandments really should always be in the forefront of our minds with everything that we do. Because basically, the Mosaic law that you know, was given through Moses, all that's the old covenant. This is what our new covenant looks like. And it's basically all of the old covenant gets wrapped up. The essence of it is are in these two verses, are in these two commands which is to, to love God and to love others. If we, can, if we carry those out well, we are doing all, all that the purpose of the law was to, to help us to do. And we see this again uh, in, earlier on in Matthew when Jesus is teaching. This is in chapter 7, 
And he says this, and you've heard this before, the golden rule here that we often refer to it as. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. He's saying the same thing here, that loving others, and this is what this is basically saying, to love others by doing to them as you would want them to do to you. That this sums up the law and the prophets. So these are very important. The number one command is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And then the number two is is right here, to love others. And Jesus says, if you can do these two things well, then basically you are following God's whole purpose for us and why he gave the law so that um, we're able to do this. And, of course, we need God's help with this, and he knew that. That's why he sent us the Holy Spirit to be able to carry this out well and with faithfulness and to know when we're not doing it. Uh, and to teach us how to do this well. But there's one more verse I want to uh, listen to, uh, to read here, uh, because I think it, it really helps us to, to view work uh, in a proper way. And we talked a little bit about this back when we did the series on Colossians way back when, but this is out of Colossians in chapter 3. Paul writes this. He says, Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. What Paul is saying here is look, all, of, all of us are going to have different things to do. Whatever it is that you do, whatever your work may be, whatever your d- daily tasks are, Do it with all your heart. Do it wholeheartedly. Put your heart into it. Don't don't just do a a terrible job at it. Don't just do it halfway, but put your whole heart into it. And Paul says the reason why you should do this is because in actuality, you are working for Christ. Christ. You're actually not working for man. Even though you are employed, you might have an employer, you might have uh, some type of master over you, you are doing it because that is what you, you've been hired or required to do. But no, he's saying, do this with excellence and with your whole heart because you're actually doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how we should view all of our tasks, everything. Now, this is not even just what you might call or think of as you know, as employment, this is everything. Your, your, the keeping of your home, the, the keeping of your possessions, the stewardship of your money, the, the mothering and fathering of your children, the parenting of your children, the, the customer service that you might give at work or the, the products that you might create to sell, everything that you do, Paul is saying, look, you are actually serving Christ, not man. That, that, yes, you're serving man, but you're really serving Christ. And he's ordained work, and he's appointed you to this. So do it with your whole heart. And, and if we can get this, if we can really get, let that sink into us, I think that it will help us to view all of our daily tasks, all of the work that we have to do in a proper way. Because God, this is God's idea. He has ordained work for us, and it's important to him. He values it highly, not only because of how we live here on the earth right now, but how we're going to live on the earth in eternity. Do you realize that how, we, how faithful we are with what he gives us now is going to determine what our roles are in his kingdom when he establishes it on the new earth? So, so when I think about that, it really puts me in check on making sure that I'm doing my work with excellence and faithfully, not to man, that's important, but especially to God, because how I'm faithful with the little he gives me now will determine how much he gives me in, in eternity and, and, and whether or not I'm going to be faithful with that. So this is, in a way, a testing ground for us. And I love the passage about the, uh, that Jesus shares, the parable of the talents, it's a, it's a beautiful passage, and I, w- I would encourage all of you to, to really read it often and ponder it and focus on it. But basically, Jesus says that uh, uh, a man gives 
um, seven talents to one. He's going, he's going out of town. He's going away. So he gives seven talents. And this was a lot of money. I can't remember what the translation is to what it is in dollars, but it's a lot of money. He gives seven to one, five to another, two to another. Did I get that right? Ten. Five. Is it seven? Five. One's just one. Ten, five, and one? Okay, sounds good to me. Ten, five, one, something like that. You get the idea. And, and so he goes away, and, and when he comes back, he wants to see what has been produced by this. What have you done to, to be fruitful with this? That's, this? that's the first thing on his mind. And the one who had ten said, look, Lord, I've done this. I've created ten more. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he goes to the other who does five. He had created five more. And then he goes to the one who had one. And he said, you know, I knew you're a harsh man. And I didn't want to get blamed for things. So I just buried it so it'd be safe. So here's your one. And it's, it's stunning, actually, to see the response of the master to this man who kept that one talent safe. And, for the, re- and the reasons why he did that. And he had... He had a lot to say about it. And it's very harsh language. It's actually hell speech is what I refer to it as. It's hell speech. It talks about throwing him out where there will be the gnashing of teeth and da da da. I mean it's it's it like takes you by surprise. But it's a it's a reminder for us that God does take this very seriously about what he has given to us. He there's an expectation of of what we need to do with it as far as being fruitful with it and investing it in his kingdom and having, um, doing something with it because that's important to him. The time that we have here to help further his purposes, whether that's bringing more people into the kingdom of God, whether that's um, helping to provide for both the good and the wicked because God sends rain on both he provides for both, as well as providing for the animals and for the uh, things of the earth. And there's just so much that God's at work doing, and he, he expects there to be um, uh, for us to take that seriously and have, uh, how we're investing the talents that he's given us. Now, another interesting thing to remember about this is he doesn't give everyone the same amount of talents. Why did he give one ten and the other five and the other one? And I think we have to remember that this is in, is in his wisdom. He knows what we are able to handle. And I, this has been so helpful for, for me to actually begin learning and, and realizing because I have this terrible tendency of setting this high bar on everything that I do. Like everything that I do, I feel like I have to be the best at it. And it's a terrible curse that I have <laughs> in the sense of thinking that way. And I'm, there's reasons for it and, and how I was uh, raised and stuff like that. But, but I had to really undo that and realize that actually God knows what we are able to handle. And that's why he gives some much greater things, much, much greater. Now, when I say greater things, much seemingly greater amounts or, or greater um, uh, reach or abilities or, you know, it could be abilities, it could be talents, it could be uh, possessions, but he seems to give some so much greater and then others not so much. But actually God in his wisdom knows what we are able to handle and what we are not. You, You do realize that the more we receive, the more we're accountable for. The more that we are given and, and the more we receive from God, the more he expects from us. So uh, I began to be very okay with what God's given me and, and learn to be very content with that and actually um, to be very happy when he, he doesn't give me more because I know that requires more of me. Um, so I think it's a good healthy thing to be in that place of contentment in what God has given each of us because he knows what we are able to steward well. And so I think, it, I think that's a good place to be. So these three passages are really key in helping guide how we navigate the, the idea of work and how we handle uh, everything that we do every, every day, all of our daily tasks, how we handle those in light of who we're working for, who we are serving, and what's important to Him. It's important to Him that we 
that we work and that we steward it all well. It's important to him that we love others. It's important to him how we serve others. And, you know, when I first started thinking on this message, <laughs> I actually was, I was going down a much different rabbit trail. I get, I, one of my pet peeves is just customer service and stuff today. It is gone. It's just gone out. It, the sewage drain. It's terrible. It's like, Am I the only one who has noticed that? Like, since the COVID-19 pandemic, it's like, it's ridiculous. And I'm one of those that gets just really bothered by it. And it just drives me nuts when someone who has, has the blessing of a job and does not care, doesn't care about the work that they do, the quality of work, doesn't care about how they treat you and, or how the customers being effective and all this. It just, and so that's what I was hoping I was going to get to talk about, but actually I, it didn't end up like that at all. But that does bother me. I just wanted to know that. So, but that, but actually that is a fruit of the lack of this. Now, of course, many of these people are lost and so they don't know better, but it should never, ever be a reflection on God's people ever. That is, that is such a, a terrible witness when, when people can look at us or see us and observe us in the workplace and how we do our task and how we serve others and it being a shame. That it should never, we should never be seen in that way. And some of the scriptures we already read that, you know, Paul was emphasizing work and don't be idle and put your whole heart into it. It's so that we can be blameless in the sight of, of the rest of the world because it's a shame for God's people to be this way. So this, this issue really should set us apart from everyone else. It really should. And even more so now because... Now, it's just, it seems to be acceptable and commonplace for people to just not care about their work, not care about the quality of their work, not care about the, the reliability or faithfulness of how they work, not care about loving others through their work and how they serve other people. It's, it's really pathetic. So this is how, this should be a big part of how we are being salt and light to the world. This, this should be a huge part of that. We spend 40, most of us were working full time, 40 or more hours in our work task, whether it's, you know, you're employed by someone else or you're running a business or you're a mom or whatever, but that's taking a lot of your time and sometimes it's a lot more than that. And so we should be putting this, making this a, a priority in how we are carrying out these, these tasks. And so especially now, their needs, we need to shine. I mean, seriously. I, honestly, I, if I go to a place that I need to receive some customer service or whatever, I, I mean, I'll tell you what just happened to me recently. I went to Spectrum. Has anyone ever been to a Spectrum store? <laughs> I mean, uh, DMV, Spectrum, I'm not sure which is worse, but you know, sometimes I get a great DMV person, and I love it when I do. But, but I went into Spectrum, and, of course, I'm just – with my mind, especially technology, you know, I'm thinking of all the inefficient ways that they're doing this and how they can be doing different and all that. But what's most important to me is how is that customer rep going to treat me? And I was taking my father in there, who's 77, old, can't hardly hear, and he needed my help. And it's important to me how we're, we're treated and how we're going to be treated. And I was so... Th and so I'm sitting there, we're, in, we're waiting, and I'm sitting and observing all that interactions that are going on, because that's just what I do. I observe. And I'm observing all the interactions. I'm observing how people are being treated. I'm observing how people are being noticed and, and how, how is Spectrum handling this and how long we're having to wait and stuff, because I'm always thinking about these things. And I was, when we finally got to, to go up uh, to one of the desks and someone to help us, she was so pleasant. And it just... It changed the whole thing for me, and it just helped so tremendously. Just the fact that she was kind, she smiled, she was very helpful. It's like she was on our side. And it just, that type of customer service, that is loving others as yourself. How would you like to be treated when you step up to that desk? 
because that's how it should drive how you do uh, treat someone in customer service or whatever it might be. Now, I did find out just by some comments that I was making and how she was in agreement with me on some things, um, like we were picking out the channels my dad was going to have and stuff, and um, and I'm like, no, 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 we don't want that junk. I don't want trash. And she's like, um, hmm, I agree. Uh -huh. You know, she was just great. I, I can almost guarantee you this, this woman was a believer. She knew the Lord, and, and you can see it. You can see the difference. Listen, don't, don't, don't get me started on Chick-fil-A service compared to everyone else. You go to Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's, listen, there's a reason why the customer service is so much better when you go to Chick-fil-A. It's because there's a, there's a value there of the people who started Chick-fil-A and they're, they're guiding morals and values and what's important to them. There's something there that comes from God and, and how he ordained work to be that guides and steers them. And you see it, you see it in, in reality when you go there and you experience their customer service compared to all the other places. It's, it's just like night and day. I'm, I'm so always boggled by why can they not see have they never been to a Chick-fil-A? How is it that they don't see this? I mean, the way that you get treated at some places compared to others. Now, if any of you are franchise owners for McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I had an uncle who owned eight Burger Kings, and I did the IT work for him, so I knew the ins and outs of the Burger King. And uh, so I'm not speaking from no experience. But anyway, I digress. So let me bring this back home. And, and to, the, to the final point that I want to mention, and that is that the workplace should be our mission field. And this is not only with, uh, obviously, our, um, our coworkers, our, our employers, our bosses, uh, but also with our customers. And, and that means the customers that you might be serving or it's the customers who are receiving your products. And, and what kind of products are they receiving? And how well did you care for them and love them by how you produce that product? Uh, and especially for, for customer service type acts. But, but in your coworkers, this is huge. And this is, this is something that I had to kind of learn and relearn because I've been in a lot of different types of uh, working environments. But, you know, God has placed us all in some type of job, whether it's, again, you're employed by someone or you are a full-time mom or whatever that might be, but he's put you in that place to be a salt and light for everyone you encounter. Now, if you're a full-time mom, you are encountering a lot of people, not only your children, who that's going to be your, you know, of course, your direct first priority ministry, but also you are interacting with so many other families and moms and other children. And, and so there's so many opportunities for you to be salt and light. Um, in any type of work endeavor, you're going to be this. And it's a perfect place, a perfect place to share the gospel and to carry out these two great commandments that we, uh, that we have seen, to love God and to love others. So this really should be how we view all of our our employment and our workplaces and our daily tasks, that this is the mission field God has given me. Now, he's going to give you other things, other places. He's going to, as you prove yourself faithful, other, other reach, reach outside of that. But our first and foremost, our priority is what he's given us right around us, that we spend hours and hours and hours each week with these people. That is our mission field, that we should be being a salt, being salt and being light. Now, we have to also remember that it doesn't mean you have to take out your milk crate, turn it upside down, stand up on it, start preaching the gospel in your office building or in, you know, in your wherever. It doesn't mean that you have to be this obnoxious, uh, you know, fiery preacher of the gospel. That doesn't, that's not what it means. Actually, I would recommend you don't do that and that you be more tactful, that you be more um, wise as serpents, as scripture says, and harmless as doves. But think about how you can cultivate trust and respect so that you will be heard when the time comes and when they see your actions. And that's, that's the one thing that we have to Really remember that it's, it's what we do that speaks way more volumes than what we say. 
It's what we do. And what we do, what people see us do, is going to determine whether this gospel we talk about and this Jesus we talk about has any, any substance to it at all. Because people see right through you, right through you, if you say one thing and you do another. It, it, you, it becomes very hollow. So what if we began to realize the following? Jesus has already authorized us to take the gospel into our workplace. So do you know that you don't have to have anybody's permission? Because Jesus, who is above all others, he is over everything, and God has given him all authority. Jesus has commissioned us for this great task. So I'm I'm wanting to encourage you Now, he's also wanting you to be wise so you don't get kicked out right away. So be wise about how you do it. But he has already authorized us to share the gospel and make disciples. So you don't need anyone's permission. Okay? You don't. You've been given permission by the highest authority that exists. Now, how you carry that out, you need to be wise and, and thoughtful and tactful and all that. But the most... The, the most powerful thing and way that you're going to share the gospel is in how you do and what you do. That's going to be the most powerful thing. And that can be done in many, many ways. It could be simply not participating in the, in the, uh, the, the group that's gossiping about their other co- coworkers. Just simply removing yourself from that. It could be simply not being willing to be dishonest about reporting these numbers or, uh, or these uh, results. It could be simply not cutting corners like all the other coworkers are doing. There's just so many ways that you're going to be able to shine your light. And so in Matthew 28, um, verses 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, this is just so you can see this for yourself, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You have authority to do this work. The other thing is that we have been sent a helper. In John 15, verse 26, it says, But when the Helper comes, and we know that to be the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you, this is Jesus talking, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So we have this Helper that is actually going into the workplace with us to help us. And another beautiful thing about this is, as we see in John 6, 44, is he actually goes before us. No one can come to me, unless the Father, this is Jesus talking, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Spirit, part of the Spirit, the Helper, part of his work is to draw people to God. So when he puts someone in your path and you have someone in front of you that you can begin uh, you know, bringing the gospel message to, God's already, the Helper has already been drawing him there. That's why he's there in front of you. So that's an actual, a very encouraging thing that he's already at work. He's waiting for you to come in so, you know, he can put those people in front of you. And, and through you, you can begin to um, let them know about this gospel message that he's been drawing them towards. And also, our helper will do the convincing. In John 16, 8, it says, And when he comes, talking about the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Listen, we can relieve ourselves of this uh, feeling that we have to convince people, that we have to get them to, to, to see. Actually, that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's our helper's job. We just need to be available to him. We need to be willing to open our mouth. We need to be sure that we are working and acting in integrity and showing uh, what we say is actually in, uh, part of a reality in our lives, but he will do the actual convincing. And then lastly, our good works become a light to those around us. In Matthew 5.16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. By people seeing 
these good works, seeing the gospel in action, seeing us as being different from everyone else in the, in the workplace, our light shines forth in a huge and powerful way. I love this quote by St. Francis of Assisi. He says this, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Okay, think about that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, for this reminder of how you have ordained work. Thank you, God, that you have given us the ability to work. You've given us our, our minds and our bodies to be able to carry out the task that you assigned to us. And God, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to work for your kingdom. And God, I ask that you would help each one of us to, to really unlearn some of the things that we, we don't need to, and the ways that we look at this that we don't need to, that we need to see this rightly, the way that you see it. Help us to unlearn those things and show us the truth about work. Help these truths to sink deep into our hearts and help us to apply them where you have placed us. God, we thank you for the privilege of learning more about this. We thank you um, for your help, and we thank you for the work that you've given us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart.